So now it's recording. Cool. All right. Think the audio is critical. People will tolerate lousy video, but not lousy audio. Exactly. Sweet. It says it's live. Yay. Okay, we're working. Right. Cool. Well, everyone, welcome back to the Utah Gun Guy Show. I have a special guest with me today. Uh, his name is Gabe New, and he is formerly or still, you run your Facebook page actively, I think, right? Under Pujitsu? Yeah, I, it's still active. I, I haven't managed it a whole lot. I hit burnout there for a little while, but thanks for having me on. Well, I appreciate you coming on, especially kind of short notice. I've been like trying to pile up guests and a couple people are like yeah i can in a couple weeks and a couple people just haven't responded to me and so this podcast is like hanging by a thread um so i was like wait a minute it's like i actually know someone who who does this kind of stuff and can talk about this stuff so um for those of you who don't know you even though you actually have a larger following than me by quite a bit uh, and some of your videos have like thousands of views which is pretty cool that surprises me as much as anybody. <laughs> um, tell us about yourself. Like, what got you into what you were doing and uh, what you're doing now or, you know, your future endeavors related to firearms? Mm. So, you know, I always like to say that my kids actually got me into this because, uh, you know, I was doing a little dry practice work when my son was about two years old and he stuck a plastic gun in his diaper and started imitating me. And I was like, oh, yeah, I, I got to you know, I got to make sure I teach him right. And then I kind of stopped and realized, wait, I, I don't know what I'm doing. Not really. I, you know, I, I had taken one class at that point, And so uh, I, I kind of dived off into the, into the training world and. That was, you know, a bigger rabbit hole than I ever thought. And when you start, you don't know what you don't know. And so um, and that just kind of dovetailed at the time. I was farming rather unsuccessfully <laughs> and I needed to do something different. And uh, a friend said, hey, come make holsters. I need some help. And I was like, wait, people people pay for holsters? And, you know, like that's how that's how uh, how much of a noob I was that I, I didn't know how to carry effectively and that people would pay, uh, you know, 70, 80 bucks for a holster. Yeah. And uh, of course, I tried the really cheap stuff and wondered why they didn't work, but didn't know who to ask and, and who to find out from. So I kind of, you know, I, I went about it all wrong. Don't start making your own holsters when you don't know what you're doing. But uh, <laughs> I was kind of a starving artist for the first couple of years there, but... Um, eventually I, uh, built up a little bit of a following and, uh, ran a successful business there for another six years for a total of eight. Uh, I made holsters under the KSG Armory brand and most people I think still don't know that I sold that, uh, last year to concealedcarry.com, a great group of guys. I trust them. And uh, it was, it was a real uh, gift from God that that showed up, that that opportunity showed up because my health wasn't great. And holsters are becoming more and more competitive i'm just yeah. in awe of of what people are able to do with it and uh i was not i was making i th i think i was making good holsters but i wasn't going to be able to keep up with the volume needed at least to expand mm. so that it came at a good time for me to sell and i had kind of transitioned a little bit i want to do some stuff with youtube and do more educational content uh ksg actually stood for knowledge skill gear Gear was one of the things I, I thought I'd do to, to make some money, but um, 
uh, teaching people both uh, in knowledge and, and skill was something I always wanted to do. And that had kind of fallen by the wayside. Although uh, selling all the holsters allowed me to write off a lot of training and it got me certified to teach by both the NRA and from uh, Rangemaster. If you're not familiar with Rangemaster, you should be because they're a great training organization. Hmm. Cool. So is that, uh, is that what you're looking to do then is become like a full-time instructor or is that just kind of something you want to do on the side? I definitely do not want to do this full-time. I will, I would like to do it, uh, part-time. I'm not sure how much part-time means to me, <laughs> but, uh, I, I think there's a real need for good training and a lot of people don't have it available. They don't know what that looks like because, you know, if you've never had good training, you don't know what good training is. You don't know even why you should seek it out. You just assume that you're good enough mm. uh, because, gall darn it, you were born an American. And, <laughs> you know, your dad taught you to shoot when you were four, so you're probably good to go, right? But, uh, well, I, I don't want to do it full time. That's a great way to be a starving artist unless you're one of the big names, and I, mm. I don't want to put that kind of work into it. I don't want to be away from my family that much. But uh, I do. I would like to be a good local source uh, for quality instruction. So yeah. I'm working towards that, but uh, I really don't have a timeline. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that's cool. So that actually, uh, the dad taught you to shoot when you were four thing kind of hits home for me a little bit, <clears throat> but I have taken an actual training course uh, for concealed carry, but my former pastor is a Marine. Well, was a Marine. I don't know if he ever stopped. I don't know how that works. I was not in the military, um, but he also runs his own uh, training course, um, training institution, higher standards training. And so I went and took one of his classes and it was really good and I highly recommend it. But why would you recommend or stress the need for training for your average person because we obviously there's a lot of new gun owners out there now over the last three years especially numbers have spiked so why would you put an emphasis on the need for training oh goodness it's hard <laughs> to even know where to start there because well one of, one of my favorite um actual events that i like to relate is the guy who shot at a uh, he shot at a guy who had stolen some stuff from his store. And this guy shoplifted and then ran out. And this guy ran outside the store and shot at him. First off, that's not legal. Don't do that. Okay, and that's the legalities of when you can and cannot shoot are not super complicated. But yeah. a lot of people don't know even the simplest part of that. And so knowing the law is, is very crucial because that guy faced charges. Mm -hmm. um, discharging your weapon in a public place. What He made it worse. Uh, he doubled down because he missed the perp and he hit a little girl. Ooh. And so <laughs> he failed on, on both counts, really. Uh, you can't shoot at somebody who's not actually a threat to you or someone else. And... He hit an innocent. Uh, you know, there's there's no such thing as a miss. There's only unintended hits, and so mm -hmm. he he found out the hard way that he should have gotten some training. And there and there's just there's lots of stories like that. Now, thankfully, they are vastly outnumbered by the people who have no training, and yet they successfully defend themselves. Right? Yeah. That's just a fact. And and 
that, but that's not a good argument to say, well, I don't need any training because they didn't have any and, and they didn't need any training. You know, that if you know that you're going to be involved in a high-speed defensive driving incident, wouldn't you want to go maybe take a little class on that? Or would you, you know, take it out to the back roads and, and do some donuts and say, hey, I'm good? Yeah. Because I think that's the equivalent of what people do with their guns. They go out back to the back for you. They plink at some cans. They say, well, I, I hit some of the time, so I'm good enough. And, you know, thankfully, uh, some of the time they are. Mm -hmm. But some of the time they're also not. And so, you know, do you, do you want to take that gamble? It's a very high-stakes gamble. Um, at the same time, I, really, uh, starting out, like I said earlier, I was able to write off all of my training uh, because of the business. And a lot of people can't do that, so I was I was kind of using those before tax dollars to do it, and that really helps. But I am very sympathetic to people who are having to pull out of their budget uh, to go take training for an incident that they really think isn't going to happen. I mean, the reality is most people don't even carry their gun. Statistically, uh, most people that have a concealed carry license, you know, the people that you would think would be carrying, they don't carry. So hmm. why are they actually going to take training? If they yeah. don't even carry regularly, we uh, should. How do you convince them? <laughs> we should definitely talk about that point for a second. What are your thoughts on people who have their concealed carry license and yet aren't carrying? Well, I, I sympathize because I can remember. I can remember being in that same boat. Uh, I got my license to carry after, uh, you know. For a long time, I, I didn't simply because I was very rural. I, you know, I didn't go to big cities. It just wasn't my lifestyle. I didn't feel like I needed to carry a pistol. Mm -hmm. um, because, again, it's that odds thing. Why yeah. am I going to go to a certain amount of expense and definitely hassle? Um, until you have a good carry setup, it is a significant hassle. Concealing is not that easy if you've never had anybody show you how. Mm-hmm. We grow up with a lot of things that we, we kind of take for granted our parents teach us, but they never teach us how to concealed carry a handgun, right? I mean, how many parents do that? So, Well, I'm working to be I'm that parent. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm empathetic to, yeah. to their yeah. plight there, but, you know, if, if you do go to the hassle of getting a license especially, then it's kind of, you know, there is some downside it's not as easy as not carrying a gun, but there's also, you know, I mean, do you want to, are you willing to take that gamble, basically, mm -hmm. of, you know, are, are you going to, are you going to be the person at the mall who has to scoop up their kids and run for it uh, rather than being able to return fire? Right. You know. Well, and that's actually something, as someone and, who does carry the question is what do you do if that situation arises and you're there with your wife and kids sure right well let me, I'll, I'll address that but let me double back and say guns are not for everybody yeah. I, I don't want to put that burden on everybody it, you know there's some people who want to carry they're maybe not willing to shoot somebody they shouldn't be carrying okay mm -hmm. um, you know maybe you've got such a bad back that it's difficult to carry, and I'm kind of speaking from experience. It, I have to carry a small gun now um, because my back issues. But 
there, there's a number of reasons you might decide you're not going to carry a gun. Now, there's some other things you can do uh, that will increase your um, your proficiency as a self-defender and defender of others, um, but I, I would never say that a gun, everybody has to carry a gun, and if you're not carrying a gun, then, you know, you just shouldn't be out in public. That That's a ludicrous position, and mm-hmm. I'm not saying that. Um, so as, as back to your question about, you know, we're in a public place, and there's just kind of a, a public shooting. It's not directed specifically at me or my yeah. family. You have to decide, I think, before you get in that situation, what is your primary mission? My primary mission is to take care of my wife and kids. Yep. And there's a lot of people who are going to say, well, you're a coward for not engaging in that gunfight. It's saving innocence. And I say, look, I'm sorry for those people. I am, you know, I really am. But my number one responsibility is to my kids. Because if I go get in that gunfight, I die are those people going to take care of my kids? Right. I don't think they are. They'll say, oh, what a shame. What a hero. Great guy. And they're promptly going to forget about it. I doubt they even donate to the GoFundMe, right? Mm-hmm. They'd say, hey, man, thanks for dying, and they'll move on with their life. And meanwhile, my kids, who are uh, you know, fairly young still, they need a dad. Yeah. My wife's a strong lady, and she'll... She'll probably make do without me. I'm sure she'd miss. I hope she'd miss me. But uh, um, you know, it's my kids, especially that I, that I think about because you know, adults can can live. And I'm not saying that I would engage in a gunfight if I didn't have kids necessarily. Right. Uh, you know, I, I still do have to think about my wife. But you know, and at the same time, I'm not of the crowd that says, "Hey." Uh, not my monkeys, not my circus, right? They say, hey, I don't care what the situation is. If I can dip out, I'm dipping out. I'm, I'm not there either. Um, for one thing, there's some situations you might not be able to get out of. Um, I'm thinking of some of the, the mall shooting situations in uh, yeah. Kenya. Uh, those, those stories just horrified me, and those were uh, some of the things that got me to carry um, much more regularly. The story of the of the husband and wife who were hiding in in, in a kitchen of, of one of the eating establishments there as the terrorists came through shooting people, and they had to, you know, the terrorists swept through shooting people, and then they came back, and they weren't able to do a thing. And it was all caught on camera that they just laid there and died. Yeah, you know, they were trying to hide. It didn't work. So you might not be able to get out, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll intervene if I can, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to forget that my family is my number one mission, and so I, I do think it's always good to remember that. Yeah, I think that's as a father and a husband, like your family is your primary responsibility. After that, the people around you, and so, like I said, you got to make that decision. I believe I heard in the uh, the Indiana mall shooting with Elijah Dickens, uh, there were multiple people at the mall concealed carrying, and he's the Mm -hmm. one who engaged. Nothing wrong with the other people not engaging. So, as I read it, the very first guy to get shot was a concealed carrier, and he had his gun on him. The fact is, sometimes your number is up. Mm -hmm. And you've got to be prepared for that, too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So... 
what you talked about, like kind of what got you carrying, what got me carrying was that, uh, the Christ, not Christ church, um, the The Baptist church shooting in Texas. What was it? The white settlement or the, uh, the one down in Sutherland Springs, Sutherland, Sutherland Springs, I believe the one stopped by the NRA instructor. Yeah. That's the one because I was going to a small mm-hmm. church at the time um, with my pastor there, the ex-marine, and I knew he carried, but that kind of is what got me carrying it. I didn't have my concealed at that point. Utah was not an open carry state yet, mm-hmm. and so at that point, I started open carrying and was working on getting my concealed, and then I got my concealed, and I've carried everywhere I go ever since, but that was kind of what started it, and that... <clears throat> The church thing is what really got me, like malls. I totally understand why there's a lot of people there. It's a crowded area. I don't go to the mall very often. I live in a rural area, thankfully. The busiest place I go every week is Walmart in a small town, so it's not too bad. And I live in a very gun-friendly community. Like, I see people open carrying all the time. We can we can discuss your thoughts on that, because I'd actually like to get them here in a minute. But um, church stuff. I'm a deacon in my church. And I carry, I suspect the other deacon carries as well. He's a former Marine. I don't know for sure. And I haven't talked about it. I've been trying to figure out how to maybe approach the topic of like with him, because I don't want to alarm people in the congregation who might be firearm averse, but as he and I are the two deacons, maybe talking to him about, you know, church security stuff. Um, Could you give us your thoughts or, or insight into that? I know you just, did a class kind of thing on that. I did. I took a, a, a class with uh, Steve Moses and the Palisade Training Group uh, last year on church security, and that was that was very interesting. It wasn't what I thought it would be, uh, which is, I think, the real value of classes. Um, for example, uh, one of the biggest uh, problem of violent encounters that churches have is it actually starts with theft in the parking lot. And so that's not a problem that my church is probably going to have because we're pretty rural. We're not in town at all. So for somebody to stop out there, uh, that that's pretty unusual. Um, you kind of have to be looking for it. But uh, there, there's a number of facets to church security, and I would I would recommend that um, may, maybe Steve will make. Uh, some portion of that class online available. I think that would be that would be an amazing thing for people who can't attend in person. But there's a lot of facets to church security that probably the average gun carrier hasn't thought about. And a lot of people want to volunteer as security, uh, partly because, man, I hate to I hate to be judgy, but let's face it, they like to carry a gun, and they like for others to kind of know that they carry a gun. Uh, harking back to your open carry comment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this idea that, hey, I, I have a gun so that I can use it, that's really the worst thing. Uh, that's the worst way to start out. Uh, if, if you have people volunteering for church security, I would suggest saying, sure, but you're, you're not going to be allowed to carry a gun and see what they say. If they immediately back off and say, no, thanks, then that's great because you just weeded out somebody who probably mm-hmm. shouldn't be on the security team. Uh, if they're willing to still volunteer and say, "Oh well, I'm disappointed, but how what how can I help?" Yeah, that's the right attitude. You want that person. 
Uh, and then, of course, you can verify their their handgun proficiency and perhaps let them carry after all. But uh, there's a lot of facets to it, a lot of it. Um, there's, in some of the larger churches, there's the cult of personality. The, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the worship leaders and the pastor and his family can, can kind of get some stalkers. Um, there's a lot of uh, family violence, you know, maybe a one or other is more religious. They take the kids to church and then the other one shows up because that's a consistent place where they know they can find them and they'll possibly be separated. Um, so that's a common problem as well. Um, but I think one of the big problems with church security is perhaps uh, harking back to the lack of training is that a lot of people don't train that often. Mm -hmm. um, I am now on the church security team and like for us to train more often. I know that everybody's busy, but I think that technically we're not professionals, right? Because we're not getting mm -hmm. paid for this. But at the same time, when we've made that sort of commitment, I think that at least to yourself, you owe it to get out and be more proficient than average. Um, reality is most people, most people don't even shoot that often, quite frankly. Um, most people have never taken any training class, let alone uh, one training class a year. Mm -hmm. uh, Carl Wren of KR Training down in Austin, Texas, has done a lot of good research on that. He says that fewer than 1% of, of the gun-carrying tribe, not just everybody in large, but of people who have a concealed handgun license, fewer than 1% of them actually take a class every year. That's a disappointingly small number. Yeah, that's but, a that's a problem. And as you spoke to earlier, like cost of ammunition and stuff is prohibitive, and cost of training is prohibitive, which is a bummer. Uh, which is why I like for uh, Palmetto State Armory, for example, they bought or started the AAC company, and I was buying remanufactured ammo until they came out with their stuff and they can sell it for cheaper than a lot of reman ammo. And it's been good stuff. So that's what I've been shooting lately. Uh, total sidetrack there. But um, yeah, the training thing. So what do you recommend? I, I mean, I know what I do, but what do you recommend for people at home that maybe can bypass the prohibitive cost of ammunition like do you recommend things like the dry uh the mantis dry fire system or just dry fire in general dry fire in general if we're if we're talking that if we're saying that cost is a big prohibitive factor you don't need the mantis system um it's a good system especially if you're techie and you love all of the numbers and the feedback it can give for me personally i find i don't really need that i'm not mm -hmm. techie I don't love digging into the numbers. I would rather spend the time there just doing more dry practice reps. Um, I didn't get good with the Mantis system. I was, I did get better. I will say that. It helped me like seeing what, seeing, I mean, I feel like the Mantis really, I hate to say it majors on the minors, the reality is when you put that on your gun and you go shooting, you can look at your paper and say, man, that was an amazing group. Then you look at the Mantis numbers and you say, that doesn't look very good. 
right? Because the actual deviation of your muzzle, mm -hmm. I feel like it kind of, you know, the reality is if you're shooting in the 80s on the Mantis, you're doing great. You're going to probably put up a great uh, group on paper. Yet, you know, in a lot of the Mantis groups, oh man, I shot less than 95. I'm so bummed. Mm. Dude, that's amazing, right? <laughs> don't, don't, it, I feel like for some people it allows them to focus too much on accuracy. And I'm, I'm probably sounding like I'm sounding <laughs> not to get it. That's not my intention here at all. Mm -hmm. But it's not where I'd spend my money first, especially if, as you say, uh, cost is the prohibitive factor. At most for that, I would get a laser cartridge so that mm -hmm. I could have a little more accountability with my sights. While understanding that even that can kind of lead people to look over their sights more and focus on where the laser is going to hit rather than focusing on the process. I really want people to take that money, whatever money they have, and look um, look, look for, this is going to sound self-serving, but look for a Rangemaster accredited handgun instructor. And that's, there are lots of other good instructors out there. It's just that I can't possibly verify uh, everybody. Having been through their process, I would say with a high level of confidence that anybody who's Range Master certified is going to give you uh, probably your money's worth in training. And if you tell them up front, look, man, I, I can't spend a lot of money on ammo, but I really want to learn how to dry practice. They can give you that. Yeah. Um, and so take a class. There are... This is why I love Carl Wren. He he gives half-day classes. Hmm. People don't have to go spend a full weekend and, you know, a thousand rounds and the hotel costs and, you know, 800 rounds of ammo. Just like, man, that, that, that really makes it hard to train. Yeah. But uh, his, his model, his system there of half-day classes makes it really easy. Hmm. So if you can find something like that and then... If they don't specifically cover dry practice, ask them about it towards the end of class. Say, hey, how can I take this home and dry practice? Do you have any drills for me? I know there's some drills um, online. There's also Annette Evans' Dry Fire Primer. There's uh, That's a book. Um, cool. There's somebody else. Oh, I'm so bad with names. I've I've forgotten. Uh, he's, a, he's a USPSA uh, Grandmaster. It'll probably come to me at some point, but there's there's <laughs> another dry fire book. Um, there's there's Ben Steger's dry fire reloaded, I think. Uh, there's a number of things, and um, I think uh, another good value right now is that uh, Active Self Protection has come out with their own app. Oh, and uh, they're posting full classes of other people um, like Tim Heron and. Um, uh, Riley Bowman, uh, pistol intelligence class, and That's cool. the the ability to watch those classes, even if you can't attend, watching those classes is just going to be a huge eye opener for mm -hmm. people who trained. And if you know, you don't have to sign up for a year or more necessarily, but uh, I do think that's really good value. So, yeah, I yeah. didn't I didn't know they did that. That's pretty cool. I that's I pretty recent, not well known. Yeah, I I subscribe to a WPSN, and okay. so I've John Lovell has all his classes on there, and I will oh. actually dry fire along with his pistol one class oh, occasionally yeah. when when I don't feel like going out and you know 
blasting brass. Uh, I dry fire along with that. That was, I think it's super helpful. Um, and that's like just one class. I think it'd be really cool to, to check out what Asp has. Cause I, I love his stuff. Yeah. I'm sure there's some value to uh, dry practicing along with a class. I would just caution you that when it comes to dry practice, it's really easy to get mentally lazy and kind of get into a routine. Mm. Uh, number one, safety, uh, you know, every, uh, certainly every week, if not every day, uh, somebody's gun goes boom when it should have gone click. Yep. Uh, so you gotta be really focused there. And so if you are going to dry practice, I'm just telling this to the world at large, uh, make sure that you're really involved mentally, be present for that. Don't, don't be watching TV. Don't be listening to music. Don't let your kids be running around screaming, Hey dad, look at this. Uh, you know, find, find just a couple of minutes and, and because you're so mentally focused on this, this is not something I think you can, you know, do for an hour. Mm-hmm. It's, it's too mentally exhausting. Um, but if you spend five dedicated minutes doing that, you're going to get really good. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that I'm great because I know a lot of people who are great, but I can safely now say that I'm better than average. And I got that way, not through live fire, but through dry fire. So it works. That's awesome. I can uh, speak a little to that for my brother's brother-in-law. Actually, he, my, we've convinced him to, you know, conceal carry and talked him into getting a P365. I think he has the X and he's a, he's a smaller guy, small frame guy. I sometimes carry, you know, Smith and Wesson compact or my war poet or now my P365 macro. He wanted something smaller. And I started with the shield and it was too small for me. And I was like, Hey, people really like the P365. You should check it out. So he ended up getting one and he loves it. He got the shield plus first, did not like the abrasive texture, (laughs) which that's not for everybody. Fair enough. Um, anyway, so my brother and I actually went to the range with him for the first time. He had not shot it live fire, but he had dry fired a lot. That was all the practice he had done and his accuracy and like draw everything was, it was pretty stinking good for someone who's never shot their gun before. It works. That's awesome. It was cool. So <clears throat> there is a recent, it, it's not an article. I don't think it was a very long tweet though, <clears throat> about how this is sort of related. Um, it was from a gun control group and they were talking about how lithium ion batteries have now given people like you and me weapons of war capability in our hands because we can now have pistol red dots. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm curious. Uh, first off, I'd love to get your, your thoughts on that, but also red dots versus irons. Cause this is still, uh, Mm -hmm. seems to be quite the debate going on. It's hard to imagine that it's still a debate in 2023. It really is. Uh, you know, red dots have been around for a long time, and red dots in shooting sports have their own division for a reason, because if they were an open division, they would win everything, <laughs> right? It's, it's really easy to see on uh, a long gun, right? Almost everybody that owns a long gun puts some sort of optic on it, because it's just so much easier to use. Yep. And I, there, there's a little more learning curve with a pistol, and I don't think they're for everybody. 
a little bit like I would say about pistols in general. They're not for everybody. Mm-hmm. But we definitely cannot say that they're less reliable than irons. Get a quality red dot, right? Don't buy the cheapest thing you can buy out there. Uh, get something decent. And I would say they're on par with irons because I've actually had two sets of irons fail. Ooh. And I've, I've never had a red dot fail when it mattered. I've had some batteries die, um, and I've, I've taken a lot of classes. I'm up to about 600 hours of classes right now. And Oh, wow. Most of those hours have been, well, about 400 of those hours have been with a red dot. So, um, you know, two to one over irons. Uh, they're they're faster, they're easier, and for if you have aging eyes like I do, they're they're kind of a must. Mm-hmm. I, I steadfastly refuse to get glasses. I don't want to feel that. <laughs> old. I have to admit that I I definitely shoot better with with some optics. Um, in case anybody, you're probably next question is going to be what do I carry? It's the Holosun EPS. So, I I, I really like the closed emitter. Mm-hmm. I, any, any, anything else, it just seems like a lot of junk ends up falling down. I, I live in the country, and, um, you know, my my nickname if would be Pigpen from, you know, uh, Peanuts. Comic like j- dirt just jumps on me. So yep. I live on a farm, and um, stuff will fall down in that optic and, and gunk it up really fast. So having, having that little mailbox sitting on top of the slide just keeps it much easier to clean, and, and that's worth a lot to me. Yeah, I, I'm in the same boat. I live in a rural area. I live on a ranch and I live in Utah in the desert. So it is a dust bowl. And I <laughs> I have three optics all from Hollow Sun. And <clears throat> one came with my gun. Actually no, two of them came with my gun. I bought the five oh nine T because I wanted the enclosed emitter. I really like it. I just hate the mounting system. They, EPS didn't exist when I bought it. EPS is right. next on my list. I have the 407K in a green dot and the 507C X2 or whatever it is that came with the War Poet pistol. And yeah, I absolutely hate the amount of dirt and dust that gets in those optics. I, I am very spoiled with the 509 mm-hmm. on my Smith & Wesson. Like it's just, and yeah, it's a little bit bigger but I tell you what, it's it's a world of difference. I will never purposefully buy an open emitter optic again. Yeah. And for size, I hate all of the other mailboxes. They're all huge. Hollow Suns is still the smallest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I you know I'm I'm not a purist on, on buying from China. I, I don't mm-hmm. like it, but I I have to admit that right now they're the best. Yeah. It's that it's a great intersection of, of like you said, size. There, the EPS is pretty much the smallest, a closed in closed emitter, and uh, the price is reasonable. Yeah. So, I, know, I started out with Trijicon, the RMR. Mm-hmm. It's a good site, but it's not as good overall. So, and it's also not cheap. No, it is not. I don't want to re-zero it every time I change the battery. <laughs> yeah. So. I tell you what, I really like the look of the SRO. That window looks sweet, but I just can't bring myself to buy an open emitter optic anymore. Well, I have the SRO. Um, honestly, I wouldn't recommend it. 
it, it hasn't broken on me, uh, but I do know some people. You know, they've given me their stories firsthand about how theirs theirs broke. They dropped it and uh, it broke. So I don't I don't feel like that juice is worth the squeeze unless you're using <laughs> it competitively. Um, yeah. You know, maybe that bigger window matters. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, back to training. I don't think you should be overrunning your sights uh, so much that that window size, you know, is is a make it or break it factor to you. And it is harder yeah. to conceal. So yeah, There's that no makes sense. Free lunch. That's I did a lot of research before getting the five oh nine. One of the reasons was because the M and P is one of the most durable pistols I think arguably on the market. Uh, it's it's fantastic. I love it. I'm also not a huge Glock fan. Which is why I have Glock clones, but I don't actually own a real Glock. Um, but I watched Sage Dynamics review the 509, and he ran like 10,000 rounds through it, abused the tar out of it, and titanium housing, everything. I was like, it'd be really hard for me to break this. So that's kind of why I went with it. <clears throat> but yeah, uh, okay, so green or red dot for your aging eyes? I'm actually curious about this. So... I don't think there's a hard and fast answer. I mean, I can tell you what I prefer, but it might not be what you see better. Some people mm-hmm. see green better. Some people see red better. So anybody listening, don't take my word as gospel here. You've <laughs> got to go find out what your eyes like best. Um, I don't find there's a huge difference for me. I have a slight mm-hmm. preference for the green, and I also have come to like the circle dot together uh, yeah. better. I, I thought it would be too busy, you know. Starting out, I wanted like a two MOA dot all by itself because accuracy, man. Right. Then I realized, man, I, I can't shoot two MOA, not away, <laughs> right? And so, even with a, a six MOA dot, a lot more visible, and it feels bigger, and at close range, you're like, man, this thing is too big. Mm-hmm. But it didn't actually affect my accuracy. Uh, that was kind of all in my head. Um, and then I, the ring, I realized, hey, if your presentation's not perfect, uh, that ring helps acquire it a little bit faster. And mm-hmm. uh, with the with the 32 MOA ring, I think it also helps you gauge distance if you put in a little bit of work there. So, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I, when I first got my 509, I ran just the dot. As small as I could get it kind of deal. And since mm-hmm. I've been practicing more training more i do i on both the 507 and my 509 i run the circle dot but i do have to say i like the green dot for the 407 i pick it up quicker for whatever reason i really green just stands out to me better my -hmm. eyes the way they work but it doesn't have a circle dot because it's a 407 but yeah can't have everything right (laughs) I, i wonder if that's not also the background you're shooting in if it's possibly oh yeah your territory. Uh, have you have you have you tried it in different uh, different environments? Uh, other than snow and not snow, no. Because, like I said, I live in the desert. I could go up on the mountain and try it, but for like dry fire indoor, I pick it okay. up quicker. But outside, uh, on actual targets, I just you got the brown desert, and the green just shows up better for me. And maybe it is the environment. I hadn't thought about that. the The brown might, you know, blend the red a little bit, but. Not something I considered. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so, to, since you are not up to date on current events, I'm going to 
make you sad real quick. <laughs> there's a there's a video that uh, went around today. I made a short on it, and the ATF is going door to door for forced reset triggers. Mm. Now that they are machine guns. All right. Yeah. So. That's so. That's uh, yeah, and that ties into what happens with pistol braces if it's not overturned. If they can track all the purchases of forced reset triggers, do we really think that they can't show up at anyone's house who has a pistol brace that decided to not do their amnesty period? Well, I, I think you'd be very foolish to think that they didn't track you. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm certainly not an intelligence expert, but I, I know some people who are, and they say that, look, you know, yeah, they they don't know everybody, of course. But if they decide to drill down on you, they'll find out an incredible amount. And the fact that you paid in cash doesn't really matter that much. Yeah. Um, yeah. So un unless everything, unless you're literally a hermit, um, <laughs> yeah, that that's just not going to happen. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think we've got a basically a bureaucratic dictatorship, um, and and that's kind of. Uh, becoming a lot worse, mm -hmm. and that's mm. yeah. Growing up, I did not, I did not think this was the America I was going to grow up in. I was, to I was told this was the land of the free. What happened? Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> so, yeah, that's it. It annoys me really bad because I, like, for example, I went the other day. Palmetto had a two for one on their dagger frames. I don't own a dagger. I was like, hey, why not two for one? It was like two for 50% off or whatever. And I was like, hey, why not try them out? It'll give me some video content and I can have some cheap pistols laying around. The two frames, because I got two frames and they're handguns, the gun store told me they had to turn in a paper to the ATF because I bought two handguns at the same Ooh, time. Two at, two at once. Yeah. Two at once. And they're like, oh, got to send it to the ATF and the local sheriff. He's like, the local sheriff throws it away. But the ATF, you know, it's like, uh, why? <laughs> like it's, assuming the, the local sheriff thing is a, is a state law, right? Yeah. Actually, but, I think it was part of the recent, um, the recent, Biden did some sort of uh, executive order, I think, which is what mm -hmm. is tied to the ATF. Because before, I bought more than two handguns at one time before it wasn't a thing previously. <clears throat> well, I'm definitely not up to speed on current events. So, again, yeah. I'm not aware. Um, if yeah. I have no friends, uh, <laughs> don't let me know when, when there's an emergency happening. But it sucks too much of my energy i get too angry and then i'm i'm less effective so i back i have to remember my primary mission that's taking care of my kids so no i that's think I that's definitely a good thing uh and i think that's something most people should do is kind of back off the internet engagement a little bit and live life where they're at because that definitely the internet's really distracting there's a lot of good information out there but it's also really distracting and easy to get caught mm -hmm. up in things and that's unhealthy <clears throat> and it takes away from training time so yeah yep. out there meet people train so i'd like to throw a training scenario at you uh this is more of a home invasion thing now okay. this is not one that you could prepare for perfectly because this was a 
familial dispute. A guy from California, and the reason I'm bringing this one up, this happened in my state. A guy from California drove to his brother's house in Utah and rings the doorbell, talks to him for a couple seconds, pulls out a gun, shoots his brother, goes in and shoots his wife, and then gets in a shootout with the cops. Other than, like, obviously, the familial thing, if you're on good terms with your family, I don't think that's that's your numbers up, right? You you have no clue this is coming. There's nothing you can do. But when it comes to people who might live in a city and answering doors, that kind of thing, what what kind of precautions or awareness training do you think you can work on for home safety, that kind of stuff? Well, if you're not, mm, wow, that's, that's rough. A lot of thoughts there. Uh, mm-hmm. Sorry. <laughs> I would start by saying that if you're not, if you're not carrying around the house and you're not going to, mm-hmm. then maybe you could have a gun uh, staged where you can get to it quick. In this case, perhaps the wife, upon hearing her husband getting shot, could have made a, made a quick run for it. That's difficult depending on who else is in the house. There are some uh, families that because of um, uh, certain certain children, they, they can't trust them. Mm-hmm. And the children can be quite mm-hmm. capable at getting into things. So maybe that's not an option. With biometric safes now, that's improved a lot. Yeah. But that's my first thought on, on the home invasion thing. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you a story about my friend. Uh, who had something a little bit similar to that happen. However, as to how you can prepare, you know, I I say make peace with God, right? Because sometimes you're not gonna, you're not gonna be able to prepare, right? Sometimes you just get hit by lightning. (laughs) uh, Um, Oftentimes there are warning signs and we as humans are really good at ignoring them. You rationalize, oh, well, he's my brother. He would never do that. Mm-hmm. Well, it was a local instructor who taught a lot of classes for a long time. Um, he no longer teaches. His son, um, crazy, for lack of a better word, and shot him numerous times. Mm. Uh, I I don't know the specifics of how much he had to have known, um, but it, it it was a known fact that his son was unstable. Uh, so you have to ask yourself, how did he get a gun, and how did he end up doing this? I know I I really don't know, but um, let's switch out here a little bit. I took a class from Melody Lauer and John Johnston. The, it was a short class, a uh, short rendition of their the Armed Parent and Guardian class, which is a good class. I recommend it. And they, they said, look, sometimes things happen that are just, they're incredulous. No, nobody would think that this could happen. And you have to kind of precondition yourself. If people start shooting at me, I must return fire, even if it's a family member, right? Mm-hmm. The story they gave, it was a true story. Um, a police officer had a really bad day, and he snapped. And he went for a walk in the park where there was a man, wife, and kids. 
and he proceeded to pull his gun and start shooting at him. Wow. Who who is walking along and has a police officer come walking towards them, and all of a sudden he pulls his gun and shoots at you? Your first thought is, he must be shooting at somebody behind me, right? Mm-hmm. This isn't happening. This can't be real. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not trying to 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 bag on police officers. I'm just saying that the freakiest situations can be real life. Mm-hmm. So if we can get ourselves past that. Even, you know, people always have a hard time. Even when it's a group of gangbangers who start shooting at them, the most common response is, oh, no, this can't be happening. Yeah. You know, it's other people that get shot at, right? That happens in the news. It doesn't happen to me. So when we can overcome that uh, institutional bias, that inertia, uh, Tom Givens talks about that a lot. He says, you know, you're being shot at. You've got to deal with the problem. You can rationalize it. You can... Figure out how to deal with it later. For now, you got to shoot back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no that that makes sense. <clears throat> so, two more questions. One ties into your uh, guardian parent kind of deal. You have children in the house that might not be you can't trust or just are too young. Whatever. What do you think about smart guns? Hmm. Well, there may be promise in the future. I don't think we're there yet. Yeah, uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna write them off. Uh, but at the same time, I'm not super thrilled with the idea because, uh, for the same reason that I don't like electric cars. Mm-hmm. You know, if if the electric car manufacturer decides that uh, your social media post goes against their policy and they shut you off. Because it's in their contract and you signed it, well, now what do you have? You have to walk to work. And and likewise, it's theoretically possible that they could do the same thing with guns, which I'm I'm not the most trusting person on the planet, so I think (laughs) that a lot of the people pushing smart guns kind of have an agenda, uh, and I don't trust them. At the same time, you know, Pandora's box is open. Technology is here. It's going to become more pervasive. And until we switch over to ray guns instead <laughs> of using 9mm, uh, they're not really going to be able to uh, prevent you using uh, some, some ancient technology that doesn't have that you know, ability to prevent you from using it. So yeah. thankfully it's not on the horizon. Um, but you know, I, I'm a big fan of biometric safes. They open quickly, right? Mm-hmm. So... That, that's a lot better than a key or a combination, which you, you're not going to do quickly. So, yeah. Well, hey, who knows? I think my big fear, aside from the not trusting the manufacturer's aspect, is um, like with biometric safes or quick release safes, like I have a one that's a keypad. Uh, they always have a key also in case the electronics go out. I don't know of any of the smart guns that have a mechanical way to fire them if the biometrics don't work. Like, mm-hmm. that worries me big time. Um, trusting my life to, to the electronics only. Well, yeah, and the reality is anybody who starts shooting a significant amount, and um, this is one where you, you should trust the instructor's word more than your own because they see a lot of people come through classes 
you only have your personal experience. Mm -hmm. And when you start going to classes, you realize all of these people with mechanical safeties on their guns, they have trouble. They have more trouble than people who don't have any safeties. Uh, you know, it's one of those things, it's a deadly weapon, we've got to treat it as such, and I understand the desire to have an external safety. Mm -hmm. um, but when you start adding things like a grip safety, mm. you'd be surprised how often people fail to grip the gun just right, and it doesn't go bang. Yeah. And that's something that it, it's been around forever, right? I mean, the 1911 had it, so, I mean, you'd think we could have ironed out that wrinkle, but... <laughs> It's still here. It still happens that in class people pull their gun and the gun just does not go off. They're sitting there trying to figure out why. And they have to shift their grip. And I think the same thing is likely to happen uh, with the with the biometric type stuff, except probably worse. Mm -hmm. That was a conversation that I had when considering what gun my mom should carry because she has like real bad carpal tunnel has a hard time with the slide the shield easy exists but the shield easy has a stinking grip safety yeah and i was like someone with a weak grip shouldn't have a gun that requires a grip safety right. that just doesn't make sense to me the whole point of the easy is to rack the slide easier and yeah so we did not go with the shield easy which is kind of a bummer because um she does struggle with the slide but we've kind of found a way that she can she can work it. <clears throat> okay, last question, because we are 53 minutes into this. Um, what do you carry, why, and your journey to get there? Okay, so I'm currently carrying the SIG uh, P365 Macro. I have had the 365 uh, XL and the original 365 for a long time uh, thanks to the holster making business the 365 is way too small for me except perhaps as a deep carry gun uh, I do love the fact that it's kind of in the family um, I will say detour from this real quick and say that if you're gonna carry maybe a big gun one day and a small gun the next try to keep it in the family uh, mm. unless you train a lot I think that like switching to you know the, the LCR which is a good gun but switching from like a G19 to an LCR, if you're not prepared to make that switch, you're going to lose more uh, skill on demand than uh, if you switch from, say, a G19 to a G43. Or, in this case, like the macro down to the 365. I started... Um, I started with... My, my very first gun was a 1911, but I was too young to carry, and... Um, I never actually carried the 1911. Uh, I was I was trained originally. I took my first uh, instruction from a, uh, a Vietnam uh, veteran and a police officer who was about the same age. So they told me, "You get a 1911, and <laughs> you know God will smile." And so, of course, I did. Back to back and World Wars, baby. That's right. <laughs> and so, turns out um, he did not smile, and. <laughs> Uh, I, I did eventually move away from that. But uh, funnily enough, I, I exited the 1911. Uh, please, please don't shame me. I didn't know. I exited to an XD, the Ooh. Springfield XD. And 
Uh, about 2,000 rounds in, I learned why they were not recommended. Uh, hmm. The thing kind of blew up on me. And hmm. so uh, to all you people who say, mine's been great, never failed. Well, I, I hope yours continues to never fail, but mine failed catastrophically. So from there, I moved to a Glock. I didn't love Glocks, but it's really hard to uh, deny the appeal of reasonably cheap, lots of aftermarket support mm -hmm. um, and reliability. Uh, they are reliable. Um, so so I went with the Glock for a while. I thought, man, well, it must be me. Uh, of course, like everybody else that didn't have any training, I thought my Glock shot low left. And so <laughs> I on the hunt for something different until I got training. Thankfully, I got training before I spent a ton of money on guns. And uh, I was able to figure out that in fact, it was me that was shooting low left, and the Glock was just fine. Um, you could blame but, those plastic U sights. Right, right. All those things are <laughs> They really are bad. They really are. But, uh, <laughs> so, I, it, it, that was about the time that I started making holsters, and so the business was buying guns uh, to make holsters because if you're, if you're making holsters, you should really be test fitting with the real thing. Mm -hmm. um, all of all of those molds, they're close, but they're not exact, and so it, it matters. So I was buying the real thing, and and that was great, man. I, I was I was super into guns, and getting new guns was great. And I kind of I kind of fell on the new gun of the week. It's an exaggeration, <laughs> but you, you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. I was I started to switch guns a lot. And then I realized what I was doing, and I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to stop. I don't have anything I, I super had fallen in love with, so I went back to a Glock. And partly because I'm a contrarian, and a lot of people online were saying, well, you can't carry a full-size gun, you know, and, and conceal it. And I said, oh, yeah, watch me. So, you know, <laughs> kind of the hold, hold my beer and watch this. So I, I went out, and I bought a G34. Which, oh, I was like, hey, I can carry a big gun. Watch me. <laughs> and yes, I carried it at, at the appendix position, and I carried it successfully. I, you can conceal a lot of gun if you oh, yeah. if you try. And uh, yes, there was some dressing around the gun. It was not ideal, but mm -hmm. I did that. Um, I told myself I was going to stick with it and take some classes for a year, and I did that. Um, and I think it was good for me, but I also learned that unless you do a lot of work, uh, to a Glock, for me, it, it just doesn't fit the hand. Mm -hmm. um, um, it, it was kind of holding me back as a shooter. There's, and I don't want people to think, well, if I'm not a very good shooter, I need a new gun. Gabe said so. That's <laughs> not what I'm saying at all. I, I think you should get at least decent with whatever you've got. But at the same time, there are some very real uh, hand fit issues that we are all going to run into. Um, mm -hmm. Like you said, the, the shield... It is can be so small for me it's really too small it's yep. hard uh, to run the shape is just not great um, and so the the Glock likewise didn't fit my hand and so I kind of got back on the looking for a new gun train and eventually I really liked the 365 XL but the grip was a little small and mm -hmm. I'm still thinking that if I got maybe a Wilson grip that would kind of alleviate that it seems like it's a little bit bigger yeah, uh, but I haven't I haven't put my hands on it, and I found through uh, eight years of experience now that what a gun feels like 
in your hand is not necessarily how it shoots. Because hmm. I picked up the 365XL and I thought, eh, this doesn't feel great. And then I went and shot it. I was like, wow, that's actually amazing. Uh, I shoot really well with that. And I picked up the G48, and I thought, man, this feels fantastic. I'm going to be amazing. And then I went and shot and was like, oh, that didn't go so well. Um, so the, the G48 and the 43X, uh, after about five rounds, I, I realized it's working loose in my grip. And it, it wasn't because I wasn't squeezing hard enough. It, it, just, it just didn't fit my hand that well. And the 365XL, even though it's a little bit smaller grip, is much more ergonomic for me. And I could go through the entire magazine without having to shift my grip. And so, you know, uh, go to the range and figure out what works for you rather than buying uh, first. Yeah. At the same time, you know, maybe go buy a Glock 19 and shoot that for a while. And if you can't shoot that accurately, the problem is you, not the gun. Uh, <laughs> take some training. And then with that experience, you'll be much better able to to actually say, well, it works for me, which is a phrase I hate. <laughs> but there is a small range of validity there. Yeah. Um, most people don't know if it works for them or not because they've never actually uh, put it to a timer or any real accuracy. Shooting at tin cans doesn't count, guys. So that's kind of how I ended up. And then they came out with a macro, and I said, Oh man, this is perfect because it's more ergonomic than the G19. It's more concealable than a G19. Mm -hmm. I don't have to shift my grip on a reload. Uh, if I'm allowed to plug my own channel, I did a review on that, <laughs> and it's pretty awesome. Um, but you know, at the same time, I'm actually thinking about dropping back to the to the XL. Hmm. It's a little shorter, and I might even drop back to the 365X uh, for some deep concealment stuff because. Mm -hmm. There are times um, I'm finding that that's that's real advantage. Hmm. You know, sometimes we all have to dress up, go to church, and and maybe you can't carry a big gun at a at a fancy event. We're not all going to war all the time, so yeah, let's not pretend that we are. Yeah, your review is actually what got me on the the macro train. I didn't get one till recently. But I wanted one because <laughs> uh, I watched a lot of reviews on them, including yours. <clears throat> but I shot the, I think it's the X, I want to say, because it's this, it felt really small. When I shot it, it jumped out of my grip like every time mm -hmm. I was like, because I, I couldn't get my pinkies on it. They were just, it was like shooting the shield with a flush fit magazine. My pinkies hanging off the bottom. I can't stand that. And so... I was like, I'm definitely not getting anything smaller. The macro fits my hand perfectly. I love it. And having 17 rounds, it's fantastic. It definitely has become my my everyday carry. I want I need to get a better rig for it. I've I'm not sure if I'm going to do a uh sidecar setup or like a double clip just holster for it and have an extra spare mag and I have a magazine carrier as well. I haven't decided yet, but it's become my everyday carry and I absolutely love it. And I've already put 500 rounds through it. I've had it like three weeks. It's fantastic. My favorite, favorite carry gun for sure. <laughs> it's a great option. It's kind of on the high side of what I would recommend for most folks. Uh, it, you don't probably need to go larger unless you're a paid professional going, getting paid to go look for bad guys. Um, 
know, as, as an individual who's not paid to do that stuff, <laughs> I don't see the need to go any bigger. Uh, if I can uh, weigh in, I know unsolicited advice is usually worth what you pay for it, but I would say don't get a sidecar. Mm-hmm. I made a lot of them, mm-hmm. and I can tell you that uh, if you can tailor it to your own build, it might work amazingly. It'd be mm-hmm. great. But if you can't, it I mean, it, it either works or it doesn't, and there's no adjusting it. Even yeah. even the ones that flex in the middle, they're not as adjustable as I think they need to be for a lot of folks. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, can be very comfortable. Uh, connecting can, can kind of help spread out that weight, and it does. You really value a reload. Uh, it, it makes that easy. Mm-hmm. You don't have to struggle with that, but... Uh, Again, statistically, that's not a thing for individuals, right. private citizens. So, unless you're carrying junky magazines, if you're carrying those aftermarket magazines, well, there's no help for you. <laughs> I tell you what, I am not a fan of PMAGs, and that's what Shadow mm-hmm. Systems ships their gun with. And mm-hmm. I switched to factory Glock mags, and I've heard lots of bad things about those. Gun runs fine. Did not like the PMAGs. I've never had a trouble with the factory Glock mags, and I, I just never cared for the P-Mags. Yeah. And a lot of my friends look at me like I've got a third eye coming <laughs> out of my forehead. But, you know, that's just my experience. I don't know. They're they're cool. They work, uh, the Glock mags. However, I still have a formal complaint. I like steel magazines in my handguns. Well, you know, they, they do have a very, they've obviously got the steel internals yeah, and they're reliable, but I think that having that plastic overlay is holding them back from putting a lot more rounds in the gun. Mm. They could, you know, their, their G43X and the 48, they could bump that up significantly from the 10 rounders yeah. um, if they would just expand their magazines a little bit. So I feel like Glock is no longer innovating like they need to, and mm-hmm. I th- they're I guess they're paying the price for it in the market. So yeah, I, <laughs> Palmetto's selling out Gen Three clones all the time. <laughs> uh, price point helps for sure, but yeah, the I don't know Glock. As I said, I've never been a huge fan. I didn't like the grip angle. I held it in the store before I bought it. It was, I was recommended either Glock or MNP for my first carry gun. They said, hold them. If you can, shoot them. I couldn't shoot them, um, but I held both of them in the store, and I instantly knew I could not, the standard Glock grip angle, not, nope, not a fan. So I've never owned an actual Glock. Uh, but I have the Shadow Systems, I've got the Dagger, and I love the Shadow Systems. I've got the, the more MNP grip angle backstrap on there. It shoots great. The gun's awesome. I love the War Poet decal stuff on there. It's it's a fun gun. But I really don't like polymer-covered mags. They just... It really... I never used to flick my wrist to make sure a magazine came out. And now I've started... <laughs> it developed the flick. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because there have been a couple times where it's an empty mag and I hit the release and it just slowly <laughs> yeah not a fan <laughs> yeah. cool well uh i really appreciate you coming on doing this i know you're you're busy oh, my pleasure. you're a farmer and all that uh very busy 
But yeah, if you want to plug your any of your social media stuff, have at it uh, before we wrap up. Yeah, so I'm I'm really only in a couple of places. I'm on Facebook uh, under Pujitsu and also YouTube under the same name. But, uh, if any of you guys are in Central Texas, you're welcome to come train with me. I'm building my own range little by little. So nice, that's awesome. I'm gonna have to come down to Central Texas. <laughs> yeah, should do that. I have friends have in uh, Southern Texas, so you know I could just make an excuse. Oh wait, I do have friends in Central Texas too. I have some in Dallas. I have some in San Antonio. So there we go. Just... Southern Texas could be as far from me as, you know, Utah is from Virginia. I don't know. Yes. I, I, <laughs> used, to, <laughs> I used to drive truck and we would take loads every week. It was two loads. We would go from Indiana. Well, basically St. Louis. So it was the border uh, and drive down through Oklahoma into Texas. And whatever that main highway is that runs like through all of the major cities in central Texas, like all the way down through San Antonio, all the way to Laredo. So yeah, Texas is I 35. Is that what you're talking about? It might be. It was the major one that just goes like straight through Dallas and everything. So yeah, I'm fairly familiar with the the distance <laughs> in Texas. <clears throat> we're right in the middle. So if you do come on by, we're, we'll be happy to see you. That would be awesome. Cool. Well, once again, I appreciate it. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. I will be posting clips of this because I think there's tons of like useful information uh, that Gabe was able to give us here. And if you had one one last thing to tell everyone, kind of, what what would that be? I would say um, pray hard and dry practice a lot. There you go. Pray hard, dry practice. Good advice. Thank you once again, everyone, for tuning in, and we will see you next time. Cool. And